Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. This is Jeff Lyle, Senior Leader here at Antioch Outpost where I'm recording today. I'm glad that you've tuned in to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, especially if you are a first-time listener. We're blessed that you've found us and I hope that you'll be strengthened. I want to always remind all of our listeners and those of you that are tuning in for the first time would not know this, but there is a um, very simple website that hosts all the archives of Mavericks and Misfits. That website is maverickmisfit.com. And all it is, straight up, is just a page that has lots and lots of links. We're right at 150 episodes of this podcast. It's been going on for a couple of years. And uh, you can find all of those, lots and lots of topics, but um, all of them kind of loop back to the throne room. And that's where we end up. I just want everything in my life, in my ministry, in my family, um, in the church that I lead, in the school that I lead, in everything that I'm able to do for the Lord, I just want everything to end up right before the throne of Jesus because that's where everything makes sense. If we can stay before the throne, if we can affix our minds upon him, if we can fix our affections upon the one seated upon the throne, then all makes sense. And the more distance that gets between you and the throne, the more confused you are, the more um, anxious you'll become, uh, the less, uh, less confident that you'll be in life and identity and ministry. But if you'll stay before the throne, if you'll get before the Lord and stay there, and you have to do that by faith. And if you don't know how to do that, then you just start out by saying, Lord, I don't know how to do that. Help me. And you will, um, if you'll continue to pursue that, then you'll find yourself closer and closer to the throne. I've been walking with Jesus since 1994 and by his grace, and I want to emphasize that by his grace, but not apart from my commitment, I'm closer now to him than I ever have been before. And your Christianity and the expression of it will have different shapes during different seasons. It will grow. It's organic. It's not static. It's not learn these eight verses and then go run your race for Jesus. It is like any other relationship. The longer you're in a healthier, uh, healthy relationship, um, the more rewarding it is and the more you understand that one that you're in relationship with and being in a relationship by faith with Jesus Christ is absolutely no different. Um, want to remind you of one thing before I launch into today's topic. Um, from May 21st to May 28th of this year of our Lord, 2023, we are having seven days in May at Caneo Ministry Training Center. Many of you would know that I serve at Caneo, and of course that is a uh, Bible college. You can earn your degree there, four-year degree at this point, hoping to build a master's program within the next year or so. Um, but you can get a bachelor's degree, that degree that you've always wanted but never had time to get, and we make it so easy for you to figure out how you want to do it. You can do it live on one of our, I think, 41 campuses, something like that. There should be maybe 50 campuses by the beginning of next school year, but 41 I think we have right now. Um, you can do it at one of our many campuses, and that campus map is on caneomtc.com, caneomtc.com. Um, you can uh, join also in one of our um, satellite schools. And what that is is a local church opens up or a building or a home. Whoever wants to can host a satellite campus once they go through the approval process with the school. And you um, are able to pick a night of the week and you watch that class for that week 
with a group of people. And then you can do online, live. That means while we're learning at one of our campuses, uh, we're streaming live and you can host a live campus or you can do it at your own pace on demand. That means you go back in the archives and you watch the video archives of classes that we've had and you earn degree, your degree as you go. Uh, there's a start date and a stop date for on demand, but you can do it at your own schedule within that start date and stop date. You know, one of the things that we try to do is keep the tuition very low. Uh, we did some diagnostics and we found that we are um, about 75% uh, more affordable than most of your four-year degree colleges in our home state of Georgia. And really, as you expand it out into the nation, we're actually cheaper than that 75%. We do that on purpose. Uh, it's not that we're offering inferior quality because we're not. Dr. Karen Smith, Dr. Robert Slaridan, Dr. Philip Fields, myself, and some adjunct professors. Jake Kale just did a. Uh, by the way, you need to listen to Jake Kale's podcast. If you go to uh, your wherever you subscribe to podcasts, look for Torchbearers with Jake Kale, K-A-I-L. You need to listen to that fabulous man of God. And he does, he just filmed, um, I think eight sessions for us on the topic of deliverance ministry. So during the month of May 21st, May 21st through May 28th, we're going to cut the, uh, registration fee all the way down to $25. So you can get registered and get your spot for the upcoming school year for $25 from May 21st to May 28th, go to Caneo M. MTC, that MTC stands for Ministry Training Center, KaneoMTC.com. Join me, man. I'd love to have you in my class. I'd love to uh, be able to pour into your life some way greater than just the podcast. But for those of you that have tuned in and you say, Jeff, finish the commercial. We just want to get the podcast. Say, look, I'm happy to do this too. But for those of you that want to pursue the Lord and the knowledge of the kingdom at a greater level, uh, register with us, KaneoMTC. Uh, .com. You know, last week's podcast was on women. It was on the daughter's inheritance. I had a blast recording that several weeks ago. I think I recorded that maybe three or four weeks before it podcast, before it streamed. Um, and then we had Mother's Day. I didn't realize the timing of it would be released two days after Mother's Day. My wife released an incredible message at Antioch Outpost on Mother's Day. And uh, man, I just thought that podcast kind of dovetailed with what Amy said. Um, and that message, um, just wonderfully. I hope, uh, ladies that you'll go back and listen to that guys. I'd listen to it. If I, I was you, uh, I think there's a lot of good consideration for men in that last podcast episode, but I mentioned kind of chuckling that I thought I might do one for the guys and I'm going to today. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, what I'm, this is going to be about hundred percent exhortation, but I want to talk to the men. And I really want to, this isn't like a beat your chest, rah, rah, you know, grunting, scratching man thing. This is um, really an exhortation. It's a plea from me, from my heart, uh, for the men in the kingdom, um, the men in the churches, uh, the men, just men, man, um, for, for all of us to consider what does it mean to be living in biblical manhood? Um, the, listen, there is such a war being waged against God-given masculinity. I mean, it is a war. And we have that phrase in our, in our culture. It's kind of a gotcha. It's, it's like a, a mousetrap word. It's called toxic masculinity. And it's, of course, just like a lot of the stuff in the culture, it's impossible to define. But basically, it's applied when any man is actually being a man, when, when he's actually being a male when he's actually being a individual whose you know, bloodstream is filled with testosterone. And if he's not gentle, if he's not sweet, if he's not um, tender, uh, 
if he's not weepy, if he's not cuddly, um, then he is a victim and a victimizer of toxic masculinity. And um, what's sad is that, you know, it's just like another one of these things. If you tell somebody, I'm a white, middle-aged American male. And according to certain segments of the culture, I'm oppressive because I'm white and middle-aged and male. I'm a racist because I'm white and I'm middle-aged and I'm male. I am um, privileged because I'm white, I'm middle-aged, I'm male. And because I'm white, middle-aged, and male, I should feel really, really ashamed of that because that's the narrative in the culture. How dare I be white, middle-aged, and male? So my, my response may be a stretch for the unintelligent people that actually believe that kind of thinking. But let me just tell you something. This may stretch you because if you think that way, you're very narrow and you're probably not smart. But let me just give you something. I was born white and I didn't get a vote. I was born in 1970 and I didn't get a vote about that. And I was born in America and I didn't get a vote about that. And so let me just tell you, I'm not ashamed of any of it. I'm not guilty of any of it. I'm not going to try to rearrange it because you don't like it. And so you just need to listen to this. Just like I wouldn't uh, oppose anybody for their being female or being a non-white or being a non-American. I'm just not going to come up under your nonsensical penalty that I should be living in a state of guilt and apology because I'm a white American male. Um, I don't matter of fact, that's what describes me. That's not what defines me. I'm not defined by what describes me. And although our culture wants to define us by what describes us, uh, I refuse that. I'll just say, hey, I do not agree with you. I don't come in under that. I'm not going to get under that smothering tarp. You're not going to reduce me to the fact that I'm male, to the fact that I'm white, to the fact that I'm American. Um, you can take that nonsense and go wherever you want with it, but you're not coming up in my house with it. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we live now in a place where men are needing to apologize and feel guilty about being masculine. And granted, let me just go ahead and give this disclaimer at the beginning. Men, um, especially unregenerate men, can be given and frequently are given for using their strength as in a masculine way for less than noble reasons. Men commit most of the violent crimes, and that's a given. In domestic cases, men are primarily the guilty abusers. That's true. And in a lot of workplace toxic environment, sexual harassment comes through men. Gotcha. I agree with those statistics. If you don't agree with those statistics, you're a different kind of unintelligent. You're just suppressing the facts. However, we will not be reduced to the sum total of the negative expressions of masculinity. So in other words, yep, I'm going to be masculine. I'm going to be a dude. I'm going to be a guy. I'm not going to feel sorry for it, but I am not the same kind of man that is abusive, that is violent, that is dominant and intimidating. That's not what we use it for. But the answer to the poor expression of masculinity in those forms that I just mentioned, the abuse, the violence, and so on and so on, the oppression, but the answer to that is not to emasculate authentic men. It's, it's not to neuter us. Have you ever seen a dog that gets neutered? 
And I know several veterinarians and, you know, ask them exactly what they do. But from, from what my understanding is, is they literally snip off the testicles of a dog while the dog is under sedation and they sew the dog back up and that dog can no longer produce testosterone. So he doesn't do all the things that dogs do when, you know, dogs testosterone or, are running. And, you know, that's a different podcast, but, um, but they snip it off. But I, I remember, I remember going with a friend years and years ago and he had a dog named Jasper and. And uh, Jasper went and got neutered. And prior to the neutering, Jasper was on everything, man. He was just crazy, like just excited and bold and not laughing, barking and running. And, you know, he would mount anything that stopped in front of him. So his instinct to mate was very, and that, that dog was like a black lab. They neutered that dog. He was never the same. He just laid around. He never did anything. He just kind of would come and put his head on your lap and look sad and everything. I was like, yeah, I'd do that same thing if they did that to me. Why? Because listen, a lot of what is produced in a man as God designed, hello, as God designed, we, we produce testosterone, a lot of it, a lot of it. And it, it actually is part of the biological framework that God <laughs> instilled in males in order for us to do the things that men need to do to fight, to work, to protect, to procreate. And, and the, the answer in our culture is, man, we, we've just got to stop these males from being men. Let me give you a few verses. How about some Bible? Cause a lot of you guys tune in and y'all just don't feel like I do anything worthwhile unless I put some Bible in it. And I love my Bible. And so I, I'm actually prepared with some biblical verses today on this topic. Um, just let me give you a couple of things. Just think, because I, I want us to retap into a biblical framework for masculinity. And I want men to be free to quit feeling bad that they're men. And I want women to understand something. My sisters, hear me on this. We're not supposed to be your girlfriends. We're not supposed to be super sensitive. We're not supposed to be like sweet all the time. We're not, I mean, that's fine if a guy is that way. I'm, I applaud it. I think most men could use a little bit of that, but that's never going to be the primary predominant factor in your man or a man. Your dad wasn't your mom. He wasn't supposed to be as sweet as your mom. He wasn't supposed to be as attentive, intuitive as your mom. He, well, it's just not probably biologically reasonable for us to place the weight of expectation on males that we do on females to be nurturing, to be sensitive, to be intuitive, to be sweet, to be cuddly and connective in that way. Some guys have got a lot of that. Most men don't. And the Bible actually wants us to be men, men. I like saying it with a deep voice, men. We're supposed to be men. We're not supposed to prance. We're not supposed to sachet. We're not supposed to, you know, hold our wrist at angles with our fingers dangling with, you know, feminine virtue. That's not normal. And, oh, I'll probably get lots of pushback from this, but I'm just waiting for the day where, you know, some crazy liberal gets upset with me about stuff like this and, uh, you know, starts giving me pushback. But until then, uh, we'll just keep rolling. But David, King David, a manly man. He was a poet, by the way, but he was a man of war. He was a dude. And he is dying in First Kings 2, 1. And the Bible says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon. So this is a man giving his last words, a man who was a man. He was a king. He was a warrior. He was a lover. He was a poet. 
He would cut off heads and chase women. I mean, that was just the way. And by the way, I'm not advocating you go out and chase women. David's time was a different time than us. David had eight wives and a ton of concubines. Nope, that is not a biblical expression of masculinity in our day. But when it's time to draw near, time to die, draw near, he commanded Solomon saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And look, listen to what he says. Be strong, Solomon, and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. Solomon must have understood what that meant because there was a distinction between Solomon's daddy and Solomon's mommy. And so Solomon, be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord, your God, walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. All right. So the foundation for biblical masculinity is be a man. I mean, good night alive. And people are scratching. That sound you hear is a bunch of men scratching their heads saying, what does that mean? And the reason why is because they're, you know, young millennials or they're Gen Z and they've been raised in a culture that has reshaped, redefined and denied manhood to the point where we live in amb- ambiguity. Young men are living in ambiguity. What does it mean to be a man? Well, it's got to mean something because it's all over the scripture. And what's sad is it used to be something that was unquestionable about what it meant to be a man, to be a man of courage, to be a man of strength, to be a man who would work, to be a man who didn't expect other people to hand him stuff, to a man that would to, to be a man that would protect, a man that would defend, a man that would work himself to the bone to bring home food and provide shelter. To be a man, to, to, like, to be strong and to be guiding and leading and sacrificial courageous, not hiding behind women and children, but getting in front of women and children, your wives and your you know, sons and daughters, to be a man of God, to be one who said, hey, this is what we're doing in our home. We're, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to go to church. We're not going to become junkies of Xbox, and we're not going to play sports to the extent where we're never in the house of God. You know, I know a lot of men that'll sacrifice big time money, time and effort to coach their kids ball team, but won't lift a finger to lead them into deeper realms of the kingdom. That's wrong. So David looks at Solomon and says, Solomon, I'm dying. I'm about to go the way they all do. And I got something to tell you, son, be strong. Show yourself a man. That means remove all doubt. Solomon, it's time for you. Your daddy's about to die. It's time for you to now be the man. And my goodness, we've got our culture today saying to men, don't be manly. Don't be strong because strong equals abusive. Don't be decisive and leading because that means you're dominating and you're authoritative. I mean, you're, you're an abuser. You, you, you're melting my snowflake. You're making me not feel awesome about myself. Everything's done by committee in our world today to the point where even in homes, it's like everything has to be done by committee. If the kids don't like it, the dad can't do it. Where'd that come from? Where in the world did that come from? You're letting your kids run the show. That's not being a man. That's abdicating. That's being a neutered dog named Jasper. If you have a good memory, I mentioned him about seven minutes ago. Um, what about Ezekiel 22? This is God talking. God says in Ezekiel twenty two thirty, I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall 
and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And then God says, but I found none. Do you catch that? I'm feeling that right now. God in heaven looking on earth in ancient Israel. And he says, I was seeking for a man. I was, he didn't say he was looking for a woman. Ladies, you just kind of sit tight for a minute. I'm talking to the bros and I'm, I'm telling you, God is looking for men. When God wants to do a great work, when God wants to shape a nation, when God wants to do something in the kingdom that brings great glory, it doesn't mean he won't use a woman. But most of the time in the scripture, you're going to find the vast majority of the time, God is looking for a man, a male. He's looking for a man. And in this particular passage in Ezekiel 22, he said, I'm looking for a man that will stand in the gap before me for his land. God was looking for somebody in ancient Israel who would represent him amongst his countrymen. And then God says that his omniscient eyes look throughout all of Israel, looking for a watchman, looking for somebody that would stand and proclaim the word of the Lord to defend the land against what was coming. God said, yeah, I was looking for a man, but there weren't any. Ugh. I feel like that's can be laid over today. Like where have the men gone? You know, I thank God for the women. I preach a lot about women. And one of the reasons why is because the men don't show up to hear and the women do. And so I'm like, man, I'm not an idiot. I've been doing ministry a very long time. And if the majority of the sold out servants of God in our churches are women, I'm going to speak to that. I'm going to speak to the women. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to equip, equip them. I'm going to embolden them. You know, our church is different. I thank God for Antioch Outpost because we have a ton of men that are serving the Lord. that are sold out. I thank God for all the men that are in Caneo Ministry Training Center. A lot of men. Thank you, Jesus. But if you are being honest, when the scope of American Christendom is viewed, it is predominantly females. And I'm going to tell you, that's not completely detached for some of the reasons that we see the church as weak. It's listen, women are beautiful daughters of God created by God to do what God wants women to do. And there are general categories where women will flourish that men can't touch them. But having said that, there are areas in the American church, in the church, the big C church that God says, I want a man there. And primarily in areas of leadership, and it doesn't mean women can't lead. Go listen to the last podcast if you think I'm kind of, you know, pigeonholing women into some kind of bake a pie and keep your mouth shut category. It's not what I'm doing. But what I'm saying is there are roles that should be filled by men, but the men won't step up so the women have to do them. And they're not done as well as they should be because God ordained those roles to be done by men. And men are at home watching porn. Or men are, you know, cheating on their spouses. Men are addicts to their gonads. They're addicts to the to the need to to you know to have sexual release. They're addicted to video games because it's the only place in life where they feel like they conquer and win. Or, or they're apathetic and detached, and they just want to watch Netflix, or they want to, you know, watch sports all the time. Now, listen, I'm a Braves fan. I love to wind down a day by watching the last innings of a Braves game. I'm not against that stuff. I'm talking about when you're doing that stuff and you're not doing the kingdom stuff. God says, I looked for a man in ancient Israel. I couldn't find one. Brother, let me ask you something. If he's looking in America right now, can he find you? 
Are you willing? Are you equipped? Are you able? Are you willing? Are you believing this nonsense where they've taken you into a spiritual veterinarian center and they've clipped you and they've sent you back home a different way? Now, stop thinking that way. Quit apologizing for being a man. And ladies, quit accusing every strong, determined brother, your husband, your sons, your dad, Quit accusing them of being unfeeling, unkind, and uncaring. They're not supposed to express themselves as a woman. God did not make men to act like or be like women, nor did he expect women to act like and be like men. That's part of the deception of this age. Part of the deception of the current age is this complete destruction of the gender lines that God ordained. God created two genders, and any tweaking of that is an antichrist movement. So when we see in our day and age this heinous, terribly satanic movement of the blending or blurring is a better word, the blurring, well, maybe blending too, of the gender lines to where this is this ambiguous, androgynous kind of non-defined, non-binary view of human gender and sexuality, um, mark it down. That didn't come from God. He is 100% against it. And when we stand before the Lord, we will give an account. And part of the accounting that we give is what we did as either a man of God or a woman of God. And in that sense, I just meant a a person born a male and a person born a woman. Um, All the dudes, you know, the Bud Light commercial guy, man, that blew up a couple of months ago. Cost Bud Light a bunch of money, but they stuck to their guns. It's the one thing that I can say about the, the, um, you know, transgender movement is they're committed. They are committed. Too bad the church isn't. Too bad the church is not committed in our message as the, you know, transgender movement is wherever they're saying, hmm, maybe they're right. Maybe we just ought to be loving. Maybe we ought to just be kind and tender and affirming. Look, I'm loving. I love somebody so much to tell them that when you are transitioning from male to female, you are under a demonic deception that is going to damn your soul. It's going to damn you. And you, you, you are 100% deceived. I don't have to, I don't have to mince words on that. To, to love you is to warn you that your very soul is in high levels of jeopardy because the strong deception that comes with this movement is one of those Romans 1 kind of things that can literally harden you to where God gives you over to a reprobate mind. And when God gives you over to what you want, you won't want God ever again, not on God's terms. So God's looking through the land. He says, I was looking for a man that would stand for me. And that gap between me and the people, I couldn't find any. That's heartbreaking. David says to Solomon, Solomon, I'm about to die. So show yourself a man by being strong, not by being sensitive. Ladies, hear me on this. I know, listen, I have a wife. I have a daughter. I had a mom. I have a stepmom. I have three sisters. I've been around women my whole life. I minister primarily with women. The staff that I lead up at Caneo, is primarily women. Um, Some of the greatest people I've worked with in the kingdom, female. But I want to tell you something. 
Ladies, do, do us brothers a favor. Quit expecting us to be like you. Stop it. Quit your complaining. Quit your whining. Now, look, if a man is abusive, you need to take whatever steps you need to take. I'm not advocating an unquestioning line of behavior for men that cannot be examined nor is unaccountable. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying he's not primarily going to always be sensitive. He's not intuitive. You keep hinting because you want your man to understand you, but a man does not respond well to hints. Most of the time, he doesn't even know he's being hinted at. You got to tell him. You got to say, what's up? You got to talk to him. And suggestions and hints make great romance novels, but they make for terrible actual relationships. You got to speak the truth in love. You got to talk to him. You got to know what he is. Men, you're supposed to understand your wives and give honor to her as the weaker vessel. But ladies, you got to understand that he had to be commanded to do that because he doesn't know how to do that instinctively. And that's, I'm, I'm just telling you, man, I, I've seen this my whole Christian life. And for a minute, I think I just, just assumed they were right. This, well, you need to be more sensitive. You need to be more rounded. In your communication, you you need to be, you know, well, Jeff, we'd prefer you to be a little feminine. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to understand, I mean it literally, to hell with that. To hell with the idea that I, as a man, should be modeling feminine traits. To hell with that, because that's where the thought came from. And because of um, an overcorrection to male abuse, the answer has now become be more feminine, be more whatever we attribute to the feminine role, the qualities. And the problem is, is those lines are blurred too. And I just want to be a man. I just, I'm going to be a man. Let me just say that. I'm going to be a man. I guess people probably, some people won't like it. Brothers, you need to hear me. This is not go out, beat your chest and act like a jerk. That's not what biblical manhood is. But it is also not us, you know, putting on ballet sleep slippers instead of work boots. You know, I don't wear a leotard. I'm not going to prance. I'm going to march. I, I'm, I'm not going to probably, you know, I don't know, man. I just got all these images in my head about what women want men to be and what some of our culture wants men to be and how now toxic masculinity is actually any masculinity. If it's masculine, it's toxic. It's just terrible. Remember 2 Samuel 10, 12? This is a man verse. Be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people, for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. How about that? Man, hey, mister, sir, brother. Father, son, hey, you, you that were born with a pair of testicles that produce testosterone in your body that are supposed to make you much, much different than women that don't have testicles and don't have that level of testosterone. You, sir, the Bible says, be courageous. Be courageous for others. That's sacrificial courage. That's intentional, proactive, courageous Christianity. Do it for the good of others, 2 Samuel 10, 12 says. And for the cities of our God, that means like take ownership of your city. Is the devil invading your city? Well, why aren't you fighting back? Is the enemy coming in and bringing deception? Well, why aren't you fasting and praying? Why aren't you speaking up? Where's your voice? 
Now, look, this is not accusation. This is meant sometimes, the, you know, the spirit of God just has to take me by the collar and say, why aren't you being full throttle who you are meant to be? And I think that when we get to this issue, we find enough testimony in scripture that God wants men to be men of valor, men of courage, proactive men. Quit waiting for the women to tell you what to do. Quit waiting for permission to be a man. When the Bible has commanded you to be a man, people are wait, men are waiting on permission to do what God has commanded. You don't ask for a move and a second and a majority vote. When God tells you what to do, you do it. That's part of being a man. Now I'm going to finish up with this just verse from first Corinthians 16, first Corinthians 16. Let me give you two verses. First Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I love that. What a great balance of verses. Perfect to end with. First Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 says, act like men, be strong. Do you find the pattern? I hope you do. Just in a handful of verses I've given you today to be a man is to be proactively strong and courageous. Don't separate those things. And don't bow to any pressure that wants to reduce that in us. Be strong. Act like a man. Well, lo and behold, that's got to mean something because it's in the Bible. Like there were, there was a clear understanding of what it meant to act like a man when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Everybody be like, oh yeah, we, we got to act like men. And they understood what it was. By the way, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says, yeah, if you're effeminate, if you're a man and you're effeminate, means you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's talking about homosexuality. But I'll, I'll even apply it like it doesn't make sense for a man to be effeminate. Maybe you didn't have a dad. You didn't have a role model. Maybe you were raised by mama and grandmother and you had nine sisters and all you were around was female. And so you blended. No, unblend. You're a man. Anything that was placed on you circumstantially or environmentally or culturally or familial influences is, is not supposed to negate the fact that God made you a man. That family of women, that theoretical family of women I just described, needed you to be a man, not to become yet like another girl. And let all you be, let, Paul says in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, he says, let everything you do be done in love. Now, let me just finish with this. Could it be possible that the tone that I'm taking in this podcast is actually loving. Some people think, I don't think so, Jeff. And you know why they think that? Because it's not soft. Because we think love is soft. Really? When an intruder breaks into my house to do whatever that intruder wants to do, do you think my wife wants me to be soft and loving? You think my kids, when they were living at home, wanted me to be soft and loving? Do you know what the man who breaks into my house is going to receive? He's going to receive an expression of my love for my family. And it's going to be in the form of a nine millimeter bullet. Why? Because love is strong and it protects. I may not be showing him love, but because I'm showing my wife and my children love, he breaks into my house. He's going to die. And that's not murder and that's not sin. That's actually masculine strength and protection and love. A lot of people don't think if, you know, we're not, you know, putting hallmark expressions on it, it can't be loving. 
And so love has now been reduced to an emotional sensitivity and softness that makes me feel warm and safe. Now, granted, that is a valid expression of love. It's just not the only expression of love. I don't want my wife to love me and my kids the way I love them. I want my wife to be nurturing. I want her to be gentle. I want her to be kind. I want her to trust my leadership and follow me. I want her to express her love for me that is not the same as a man would express love. That would be gross. I don't want my wife masculine and she doesn't want her husband feminine. And by the way, God doesn't want either of those things. Act like men and ladies, please let your man and us men be men. Please don't buy into the cultural narrative that describes masculinity as toxic. Please don't expect church leaders. Don't expect your pastors and prophets and teachers and leaders that are male. Please don't expect them to always be sensitive. Please recognize the high value of masculinity being used by God in your life. And let us be strong and, you know, pray for us when we're not as sensitive as you want us to be. I'm more sensitive now at age 53 than I was when I married Amy at age 27. And she basically helped me with that. But I will never be as sensitive and sweet and kind and gentle and tender as my wife. Never. I don't want to be. I'm not supposed to be. She doesn't want me to be. And the ridiculous satanic antichrist pressure to obliterate masculinity and obliterate femininity from the landscape of the church is a design of Satan and the church has to push back. Thanks for letting me speak into your life today on this. I hope that you have heard it with faith and I hope you'll tune in next time to Mavericks and Misfits. And by the way, bring that faith the next time too, because we have more to say. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.